Turn your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 27. We have two passages of Scripture this morning. One is Luke 5, the other is Acts 27. I want to read some of, from Acts 27, beginning with verse 14. <clears throat> Acts chapter 27, beginning with verse 14. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocliton. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship, fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, strake sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. The third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought unto Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, it shall be even as it was told me. The disciples and the apostle Paul faced some very, very tough testings, much like we face today. Everyone in this room has faced some tough testings. You probably will face some more as we go along. The Apostle Paul, for example, <clears throat> had heard Stephen's testimony, I see Jesus, he's standing at the right hand of the Father, the right hand of God. And Saul had been taught that Jesus was an imposter. He didn't believe in Jesus. And there here's Stephen, a young Christian, being stoned to death, and just before he dies, he says, I see Jesus, and he's standing there at the hand of the Father. Well, that made an impression on Paul. He was on his way to Damascus to kill Christians. And you know the story. A light shone down and a voice said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He said, who are you, sir? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Saul said, Lord, what will you have me to do? And in that moment, he surrendered to the will of God. Well, Saul had a lot of other problems. When he went to Damascus, Ananias told him what great things he must suffer for Jesus' sake. Saul immediately was changed. He had come to Damascus to kill Christians, and now he's talking about who Jesus is that he's the answer to the Old Testament. He's the Christos, the anointed one of the Old Testament. 
He begins to preach all over Damascus, and the Jews who were welcoming him are now ready to kill him. They want to get rid of him. So the disciples learned what they were going to do, and they let Paul over the wall of Damascus in a basket. The Jews at Damascus hated him, wanted to kill him. Well, he went over to Lystra. At Lystra, he was stoned and left for dead. He went to Troas and had a vision in the night, come over to Macedonia and help us. He went to Philippi, won Lydia and streetwalker and jailer to Christ, and then they turned against him and they threw him out of the city. He then went to Thessalonica, stayed there three weeks, they threw him out of the city there. He went to Derby. Same thing. Went to Athens. He dealt with some of the philosophers. Maybe two or three people got saved. Then he went to Corinth. He was there 18 months, right in the seat of the devil's throne. He built a great church. But there he had to defend his discipleship and apostleship. He left there and went to Ephesus. Then he was going back to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. He was warned again and again, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem, don't go to Jerusalem. If you go there, they'll, they'll arrest you, they'll kill you. And Paul said, none of these things bother me, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. He knew he was to go to Jerusalem because the ultimate destination was Rome. And the only way he could ever get to Rome is as a prisoner. And so the apostle Paul went to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, they arrested him. Put him in prison. He stood before the council. He had to appeal to Caesar because he was a Roman citizen. They were trying to whip him and beat him. It's against the law of the Romans to beat a Roman citizen. So now he's on a ship going to Rome. And on the ship, there's a shipwreck. And everybody's about to die. And God again appears to Paul and says, Paul, don't be afraid. You have to preach in Rome. You see, the point was, all manner of trials happened in Paul's life. But God stood by. Be not dismayed, whatever betide, God will take care of you. And then the passage that Brother Austin read this morning in Luke chapter 6. The fishermen... And that was their responsibility, that was their job, that was their occupation, that was their vocation. They knew how to fish. They're out fishing all night and caught nothing. And the Lord appeared to them and said, uh, cast your net on the other side. They said, now, Lord, we know who you are, you're a great man, but we've fished all night long and haven't caught a thing. Nevertheless, at thy word, we'll try it. They cast the net on the other side, and the drought of fish they caught was so great they couldn't believe it, they could hardly bring it into shore. Jesus said, launch out into the deep. Well, I wonder what he's saying to us. You know, I wonder sometimes when do we need revival? Someone said we need revival when we're no longer spirit-filled, when we allow carnality to be the norm in our life, we need revival. When we're no longer excited about the work of God, we need revival. When we can find other things to do on Sunday, 
even one Sunday, have no twinge of conscience about it, we need revival. When we're bored at preaching time, we need revival. When we carry no gospel tracts, give no witness, and never win a soul to Christ, we need revival. When we can spend our tithe at the mall and assume it's all right, we need revival. When we lose our song and the joy is gone, we need revival. When we sit soaked and sour week after week, we need revival. When we can analyze everything and everybody, but yet we do nothing to ourselves, we need revival. In times like these, oh, be not idle. In times like these, we need revival. Well, Columbus faced some of this. He was coming to a new world. Some believe he did not know where he was going. Others have written different biographies of his life story. Some have been very critical of Columbus. But one of the unlisted biographies written by Columbus himself many, many years ago, was not in, never published, indicated that he recognized that God wanted him to take that voyage. They said he was trying to find a new route to the West Indies. In his heart, he said in his biography, I wanted to go and take the gospel of Christ to what was out beyond that ocean. I didn't know what was there, but I wanted to take the gospel of Christ. So he came to the new world and he did bring the gospel of Christ. But on the way, he got discouraged. His fellow people on the ship got discouraged. Jonquin Miller wrote this poem, sort of supposing that he was where Columbus was out in the ocean. Behind him lay the gray Azores, behind the gates of Hercules, before him not the ghost of shores, before him only shoreless seas. The good mate said, now must we pray, for lo, the very stars are gone. Brave admiral, speak, what shall I say? Well, I say, sail on, sail on and on. My men grow mutinous day by day. My men grow ghastly wan and weak. Stout mate thought of home. A spray of salt wave dashed his swarthy cheek. What shall I say, brave admiral, say? If we sight naught but seas at dawn, well, you shall say at break of day, sail on, sail on and on. They sailed and sailed as winds might blow until at last the blanched mate said, why now not even God would know should I and all my men fall dead. These very winds forget their way for God from these dread seas is gone. Now speak, brave admiral, speak and say. He said, sail on, sail on and on. They sailed, they sailed, then spake the mate, this mad sea shows his teeth tonight. He curls his lips, he lies in wait with lifted teeth as if to bite. Brave admiral say but one good word, what shall I do when hope is gone? The words leapt like a leaping sword, sail on, sail on and on. Then pale and worn he kept his deck, peered through darkness, all oh, that night of all dark nights. And then a speck, a light, a light, a light. It grew a starlit flag unfurled. 
It grew to be time's burst of dawn. He gained the world. He gave that world its grandest lesson on sail on. We learn a lot from what happened to Columbus, what happened to Paul, what happened to the disciples. Sail on. Just keep on going. Keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on, Christian. Keep on keeping on. Launch out into the deep, Jesus said to his disciples. And I want to suggest this is the deep of the sea of prayer. In Luke chapter 11, there's a tremendous passage. Listen to this. <clears throat> I say unto you, ask, it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and him that knocketh it shall be opened. God said that. Do you believe what God says? That's what Jesus said. He says, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, keep on going. Don't quit, don't give up. Go out in the sea of prayer. When everything else fails, try prayer. It's interesting, we sometimes say, well, you need to pray about that, and somebody says, you mean it's gotten that bad, we had to pray about it? That's the first thing we ought to do, pray about it. Pray about everything, pray about sickness. The other day, and I don't know whether Bill Brown is here today or not, his mother was facing very, very serious surgery. On some other occasions when she had had an anesthetic, she didn't wake up. <clears throat> they thought she was dying. They knew they had to put her to sleep. And so we gathered around her bedside on the night before the surgery and began to pray. She was awake and able to join us in prayer. I got ready to leave. She said, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for praying. I feel all right about tomorrow. Well, tomorrow morning she had the surgery. Very delicate surgery, five hours under the knife. I saw her late that afternoon in the intensive care. She was on a respirator. That night later, she woke up. She's still in intensive care. God has answered prayer. Brother Ronnie is a nurse, and he goes to various places in his nursing work, and he's told me a number of stories about people that he's dealt with, some of them near the end of the journey, and through prayer, God has brought them back. I think we've all seen that happen. Prayer is the mightiest force in the universe. Prayer is God's blank check with the name of Jesus signed to it. Ask and it shall be given you. Now, there are conditions to that. Ask in the name of Jesus. Ask fervently. And this is a tough one. Ask in the will of God. Whatever we ask, we know we have if the petition is in the will of God. So somebody said nothing lies beyond the power of prayer except that which lies beyond the will of God. Who would want something accomplished that was not the will of God? So we can pray about anything, our sickness, our finances, our needs, and God is able to answer. Then enter into the deep in the sea of compassion. In Mark chapter 12, there's an interesting passage. I like to read this from time to time. 
in Mark chapter 9, well, let's say Matthew chapter 9. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, we prayed for Sunday school teachers. I believe God has some Sunday school teachers in our church that can help in the primary department and the nursery department. Do you have to wait for God to lasso you and pull you into it? Or if you know how to do it, or whether you know how to do it or don't, are you willing? Let me give you this personal experience. <clears throat> I think God began to touch my heart when I was very, very young, maybe five years old. I know when I was seven, I stood behind my grandmother's marble top table with a Bible and preached to anybody who listened. That happened again several times later. But then when I was uh, 19 years old and I realized I was going to have to face what I was going to do the rest of my life, I was in a church service and God spoke to my heart and he said, I want you to yield your life to the will of God. I said, Lord, I'll do anything. Uh, I'll do what you want me to do, but you know I can't stand in front of people. I can't preach, but I'll do anything else. So I went forward in that service. I told the preacher that I was yielding my life to the will of God. Believe it or not, there came through the line that night a man named Ott Allen from that church who had been called to preach. He was preaching at a church near Frankfurt. He came through the line and said, uh, Richard, next Sunday will you come over and preach for me at Frankfurt? I said, I can't do that. <laughs> he went on the line. God said, would you just tell me? You said you'd do whatever I ask you to do. I said, well, God, was that you speaking to me? Was that Ott Allen? God said, do what I ask you to do. So I went out of the church, went out in the front of the church. He was walking down the street, and I said, Ott Allen, did you mean what you asked me to do a while ago? And he said, yes. I said, I'll try. I went up to Frankfurt and preached the first sermon I ever preached from Joshua. Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now, I wasn't able, I wasn't capable, I was scared to death, but I said, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. Listen carefully. Are you willing to do what God wants you to do? Suppose you're able to work in a daycare ministry and your church needs you in a nursery department. Would you dare say, God, I'll go work for money, but I won't work in the nursery? Would you say that to the Lord? I don't believe you'd say that. Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but don't ask me to teach primaries. Don't ask me to teach junior. Those teenagers, don't ever ask me to teach teenagers. They're rough. And Lord, please don't call me to preach because I could never do that. Don't ask me to be a deacon. Don't ask me to sing in the choir. Ever me to sing a solo? I could never do that. You can. If you yield your life to the will of God, the yieldedness of opportunity. <clears throat> Many years ago, a man named Edward Ufford 
was up in Maine. He was looking out at the ocean. There was a lighthouse there, and out in the ocean there was a, a ship that had been wrecked several years before. He asked somebody about it, and he said, they said, well, that ship, uh, it came toward shore, and the ship was in trouble. It was being torn by the storm. And there were men on board asking for help. There was nobody to throw out a lifeline. And most of the men on that ship died. He went home and wrote this song, Throw Out the Lifeline Across the Dark Wave. There's a brother whom someone should save. Somebody's brother, oh, who then will dare to throw out the lifeline, his peril to share. Throw out the lifeline with hand quick and strong. Why do you tarry? Why linger so long? See, he is sinking. Oh, hasten today. Out with the lifeboat. Away then, away. Throw out the lifeline to danger fraught men where you've never been. Winds of temptation and billows of woe will soon hurl them out where the dark waters flow. Soon will the season of rescue be o'er. Soon will they drift to eternity's shore. Haste then, my brother, no time for delay. Throw out the lifeline and save them today. Throw out the lifeline. Throw out the lifeline. Someone is drifting away. The lifeline of the Word of God. The lifeline of prayer. The lifeline of going. As ye go, make disciples. Perhaps a better translation of Matthew 28 19 is, and 20, says, Go ye therefore and make disciples and teach all nations. In the original language, it probably says, As you go, make disciples. So wherever you go, whether you go down to the mall, whether you go to the shoe shop, whether you go to the grocery, wherever you go, go to school, go, and as you go, make disciples. And then the sea of God's forgiveness. I'll be through in a minute. Do you know Christ receiveth sinful men, even me with all my sin? Not one of us in this room can brag about himself. We've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. We all have the malignancy eating away at our life, the cancer of sin. And left without surgery, it will lead down to death and hell. The Eastern religions can't really help. The philosophies of life may have some answers to life, but no answer to death. At the end of life, every one of us, whether we're 10 years old, 5 years old, 20 years old, 80 years old, however we old, life here ends. And God did not make us for just a little while here. Life is real, life is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art, the dust returneth, was not spoken of the soul. We're going to go on living somewhere. And Jesus, whom I've trusted as my Savior and Lord, and many of you have, Jesus told us there's only two places to go. One is eternal heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. He comes again at death. He comes again at the second coming. Jesus is coming again for everyone who is saved. But then he also reminded us 
At the end, the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, and those who have not known Christ will be cast in the lake of fire forever. Friend, where are you going to spend eternity? Where will you go after life here is over? Eternal death, eternal separation from God in a terrible place called hell, or a place of heaven. Jesus' home. There's a land that is fairer than day. By faith we can see it afar, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. Where will you spend eternity? Cast your life into the one who forgives sin. There's only one. We sometimes forgive each other. That's nothing compared to the forgiveness that comes from God. Let the Spirit of God move into your heart and be your forgiver and your sin bearer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that the Spirit of God will move in every heart. May this be a day of openness, a day of openness to Thee. We pray that someone without Jesus will come to Christ, that every believer will be strengthened in knowing that God will take care of us. Have Thine own way in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. What's the number one? Jesus is tenderly calling today, calling thee home. As we sing this hymn of invitation, it is God's invitation. It isn't mine. The Spirit and the bride say, come. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit. The bride is the church. Let him that heareth come. If you've heard God speak to your heart this morning, come to him. What's the number of that song again? 154, 154, Jesus is tenderly calling while we sing, will you come to him today?